All right. Uh, today I got on the on the air. Uh, Edinburgh men's and women's tennis coach Cody Duncan. How you doing today, man? Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm hanging in there just like the rest of us, man. These uh, crazy quarantine times, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's something none of us have ever experienced before. So it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, how have you been spending your time? Uh, you know, in the last month and a half since the season was, uh, has ended. Well, um, obviously our university is closed, but, um, you know, coaches can still work remotely. Um, so we're, you know, I'm just trying to treat it as like, you know, everything's normal and, you know, I'm working every single day, you know, doing the same things that I would typically do in the summer. Um, but, you know, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, do everything that I possibly can to prepare for, you know, the fall season. Definitely. We're kind of the same and on our end, you know, just trying to recruit and do some administrative stuff and hoping for the best for the fall. I saw on Instagram, uh, you guys signed a few kids this past week. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was some exciting news, some positive news. You know, um, we got, uh, you know, we got three or four girls coming in next year, which uh, I'm very excited for. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to gradually, you know, get my women's team up to be, you know, something special. And um, I think, you know, this recruiting class coming in will definitely um, help. Um, the, on the men's side, you know, um, you know, we're typically, we've been typically pretty good, but uh, we got a, you know, a few, uh, few good players coming in as well. So definitely excited. Don't be modest coach. I think your men's team has been more than just kind of good lately. <laughs> well, you know, uh, unfortunately or this year we didn't get the, you know, see what we what we could have done, but uh, you know, just from the short season we had, it was uh, it was definitely something special. Definitely, uh, from firsthand experience playing against that squad, I think you guys uh, probably stacked up pretty well with the top couple of teams in the region, and probably I think, in my opinion at least, would have had a good chance to make it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously we'll never know, but um, right. you know, a lot. Of, I have a lot of all those guys are young; they're they're freshmen and sophomores, so uh, you know. I'll have that team again next year, so we'll see. And then, obviously, the added freshmen that we're bringing in, um, you know. But every seat, every 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 year is different, and you know that. And yeah, every you know things can change, so we'll see. But like I said, definitely excited for next year, and hopefully, we play you guys again next year and see. Uh, yeah, we'll get to see you guys again. Hopefully, you uh, let us back on the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um. You know, changing gears just a little bit, um, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of how you got into the college tennis landscape and then how you became a coach uh, after your playing career? Yeah, this would be a little bit of a long story, but... Uh, we got time, man. We got time. We got All time. we got is time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of a unique, unique situation. Um, obviously, I actually uh, went to Edinburgh myself. I was a player here uh, from 2011 to 2015. Um, but it was, it was kind of crazy cause I always have this memory and it, you know, when I was, or till, till this day where I, I was a senior in high school and I was, you know, we'd have laptops in each class. So like whenever we'd have free time, I would roam, roam around on Indeed and see like, oh, uh, there's a head coaching job, you know, somewhere I'm like, oh, I want to do this. You know, it's like, cause I was already, I already loved tennis anyway. So it's like, I didn't know that this was actually like full-time jobs and anything, you know, for anything to that nature. So I was like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm, this is what I want to do when I, you know, when I'm done with college, I want right. to be a coach. 
Um, so I looked up what, you know, what the best um, degree was to, you know, get a coaching job and it was health and physical education from what I was, you know, researching. So I went into health and physical education um, at Edinburgh. But my intentions the whole time was to be a, you know, a tennis coach. I didn't really want to teach, um, you know, uh, uh, at a school. Uh, but it was a good backup plan to have anyway. So I wanted to, you know, follow that path. But, um, you know, you know how life changes, especially in college, you know, your mind changes all the time. So I, uh, you know, that, that plan actually went away. I actually did not want to coach at, at um, towards the end because I, I think I was getting burnt out a little bit with tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't say I got burnt out, but I would just say I, I had a different career path. So what I wanted to do was I actually wanted to go into uh, physical therapy or uh, athletic training. Um, and that's why I switched my major to exercise science. And I actually graduated with an exercise science degree. Um, and, you know, I wanted, like I said, wanted to go to that career path of physical therapy or athletic training. But um, so I graduated, I moved down to Florida, and I actually got into Gannon University for the athletic training program, uh, master's program. But uh, so I was, like I said, I was in Florida, but I had to go to Gannon. So I had to drive all the way back. And it was ironically enough, I was in West Virginia uh, and I stopped and I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to, I still want to coach. I was like, I, I love, I love tennis. I want to coach. I want to stay, um, you know, I want to stay in that career path because it just, you know, it's something that I always wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I wanted to maintain that, 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 um, you know, passion of mine. So what I did was I actually applied to a, um, cause I just wanted to get into the athletic or, you know, um, college athletics, no matter how, what I could do, I wanted to get in a job there, get my foot in the door. Um, so I actually got a job at Moravian college, um, as a athletic equipment manager and that's near Philly. Um, well, Bethlehem PA, which is on the East side of Pennsylvania. I was working there for a year and actually when I um, got the job, I asked if I could, you know, try to be the assistant coach there, like volunteer assistant tennis coach there as I was doing the equipment uh, managing. And uh, they actually said that I could, but my work, my workload actually, you know, is just too much. But I, you know, I would see the tennis team practice all the time and I would be in their office and, you know, I always worked with the coaches with that job. And, um, you know, I just, as much as I love that job, I wanted to stick with coaching and I wanted to, you know, even though I, you know, I got, I got my foot in the door, I was in college athletics. I thought, okay, maybe I can still get a, you know, coaching, coaching job somewhere. Well, the, um, the year ended, I think it was around like May, 2017 or something like that. And I, uh, was looking up some coaching jobs and, uh, Allegheny college opened up. Uh, their assistant coaching job opened up and, um, you know, it was a full-time job and it was, you know, about 15 minutes away from Edinburgh, 45 minutes away from where I grew up. So I was like, thought it was a perfect opportunity for me. And, you know, I got that job and, um, you know, I moved back to, you know, that it was in Meadville. Um, and, you know, two months into the, two months down the, the road, uh, the, uh, my former coach, uh, Lee Underwood, he, uh, he uh, 
took a job in North Carolina uh, as a uh, for a different coaching job and uh, recommended me for the position at Edinburgh. And you know, as a as an alumni at Edinburgh, you know, uh, I think you know everybody wants to coach their former you know the school that they um, you know went to. So you know, I thought it was you know something I couldn't pass up. So obviously. I applied for it as an emergency hire and I got the job and, you know, three years down the road, here I am. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned some of those things because uh, weirdly enough, I kind of have some of the same similarities uh, in my short career. Uh, I actually have a degree in architecture and I never changed my major once. I graduated in four years with honors, wanted to be an architect, moved to Houston, uh, went to University of Houston for one semester and lived there for I think I had an internship for the summer and then went there for the fall and ended up, it just wasn't for me. So I came back here and ended up getting the assistant job at my alma mater, like you mentioned, uh, at Fairmont. And uh, I, I think leading into that and some of the, the same pains I had is how did you feel um, as a young coach, you know, taking over at a place where I believe you probably still had some teammates that were left that were still on that roster when you took the job, right? Right. Yeah. So obviously it was, everything was new to me. So, yeah. you know, with having, um, you know, former players that were my teammates as, you know, now I'm their coach, it was obviously a little different, but at the same time, it's like, I've never, I never was a head coach anyway. So everything, like I said, was new. So I, I brought them in and, you know, I just told them, you know, like, you know, things got to be a little bit different. Obviously you got to, you know, give me the respect and they, they were fine with it and everything was, uh, that was actually a, a very fun year. I think we actually played you guys in the in the regionals. Yeah, that was your first year coaching. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, 2017, 2018? No, no, yeah. 20, yeah, that, 2016, was, 2017, was, right? 17, 18 year, I okay. believe. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, whenever I came back as an assistant, obviously the, the whole Fairmont State team, besides one guy, was a former teammate of mine. So I thought it was an interesting transition going from being more friends and being able to do extracurricular activities together off the court and things like that versus changing roles. Um, but I kind of felt the same way. The guys, you know, the respect was there. It just was a little bit different in, in changing roles, you know, and I'm sure yeah, you felt I mean, a little bit of the same. Yeah. It's, it's never going to be, you know, it's not going to be something like where you're recruiting, you know, you recruited a kid and he's a freshman or she's a freshman coming in and they, you know, they see you, they see you differently. It's not going to be like that, but there's still going to be, you know, respect given because you you're in a different role so right and I, I think one thing that probably helped you the same is the kids you know they still respected you as a player and they knew you were a good player so I mean it's not like some random guy who had no tennis knowledge or someone that they didn't trust tennis knowledge um, was telling them things to do so I guess in that regard it's a little bit different right yeah exactly and I you know you know, one of those players is now my assistant coach. You know, he's been my assistant coach for two years. So that's the, that's the level of respect that I have for him and he has for me. So, Well, he terrorized the Atlantic region for four years, and now he's still continuing to do so as an assistant. Yeah, he's, he's good at everything he does. And I, that's not even an understatement. So, <laughs> Hey, I didn't get to see his golf game at Hilton Head. So that, that is still to be determined. Well, you know, I said whatever, everything he does, he doesn't do that. <laughs> Speaking of Vitor, uh, I know he's graduating, I think, in December, right? Yeah, he is. So what are kind of his plans moving forward? Does he want to get into this game as a head coach? or? I'm not entirely sure, honestly. Um, 
you know, I, I would love for him to, you know, stay in coaching because I think he has an act for it. Uh, he knows a lot about the game. He's good with um, the players. Um, you know, he's very responsible. I mean, obviously he's getting his master's degree and he's doing great at it. So, you know, whatever he wants, I, I, I support him no matter what. So, yeah, if he wants to get into the business world, I fully, you know, fully, um, you know, uh, you know, want him to do whatever he wants. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, and I'm actually graduating in December too. Uh, so maybe uh, hopefully the school and uh, Coach Hoffman keep me around a little longer. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I know I've seen you post about where, uh, you know, Vitor is graduating in December and you're looking for a grad assistant. So from your right. end, you know, what's really something you look for? Like you get a bunch of applications and kids sending you information, you know, what's going to stand out to you and, and what do you really look for in the role of uh, a graduate assistant tennis coach at Edinburgh? A biggest thing is like leadership. Um, you know, I would love to see, you know, because most most players you get for a GA position, they're coming out or right out of college um, yeah. as a player. Um, so leadership, leadership roles, um, responsibility, you know, you always want to, you know, do some background on players and make sure that, okay, they were great, you know, they were a great teammate, um, responsible, you know, on and off the court. And, you know, that's basically it. Right. I know uh, I get... They, they, they do got to have, you know, you know, um, certain talent and, uh, yeah. but that's not, that's not the uh, most important thing. Yeah. I just, I have players that I know from other schools that are seniors in college or upcoming seniors. And they always ask me, how can I get a GA position? Or, you know, what do coaches look for? And, and to me, I think sometimes players confuse it a little bit with how good of a player they are, which yeah. definitely by all means, don't get me wrong. Uh, you got a little lucky getting Vitor as your grad assistant in that regard. I'm, no I'm definitely not the, the type of player he is, but uh, I think more so kids kind of don't understand the other roles. And because, I mean, I get to hit in practice and coach has me play in and practice some, but it's definitely not every practice and it's definitely not the whole practice. And that's right. only a small, small percentage of what really I'm used for uh, as a grad assistant at Salem. Yeah. I mean, GAs have a lot of, um, a lot on their plate. I mean, you're still going to school, but you're essentially a full-time coach. Yeah. You know, you're the doing everything you that you're doing everything that an, uh, an assist, a full-time assistant coach would be doing essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you're getting a degree, your master's degree. So there's a lot, there's a lot that um, comes with it, but um, that's the thing. Like if you want to go into this profession, and you get a GA, you're in a, you're a GA position, you were you in a GA position, then you're going to go into hopefully like a head coaching position. It's really big on your resume because it's like, it shows that you can, you can, you can take a workload. Yeah. For me, it's been an incredibly rewarding experience. I know, like you said, the workload is crazy. You know, you're still a full-time student. You're getting a master's, which in itself is already difficult. Uh, you're basically coaching full-time hours. Um, and then obviously there's other minor things that the school has us do as well as GA. So, we're really all over the place, but the experience has been really amazing. And especially, uh, you know, being able to work under Coach Hoffman, who was my coach in college. Uh, I've learned more in the past year about college tennis than I ever could have imagined uh, in my four years as a player. And you learn a lot of the ins and outs, which I think, I mean, you weren't a GA before. So I think had you been a GA, you might have jumping into your coaching position been more prepared than you were uh, jumping oh, no in as a question. I, yeah. You know, I, I had to learn. I had to learn as I – The hard way. I, so yeah, but, uh, you know, three years into it, I, I think I know a lot now, but yeah, if I could go the route of a GA position, uh, I definitely would. So. 
And, and shifting gears a little bit, this is actually uh, a question that uh, Kyle had for you. Um, what do you feel like are some of the craziest things about college tennis, just for you both as a coach and as, you know, just from spectating? I know we see a lot of, uh, we see a lot of interesting posts on the college recruiting board sometimes, and we kind of stay in the inner loop of what I would say kind of drama. So what do you mm-hmm. think has kind of been some of the wildest things you've seen, uh, you know, firsthand and maybe also secondhand? You mean just as like, uh, you know, during a match or anything like that? Definitely uh, we could go into the matches because I've seen some crazy stuff already as a player and as a coach. I mean, from that end too, I just think um, people that are outside the college coaching world, one of the things that I always get questioned about is the international presence in college tennis um, for yeah. people who aren't tennis people normally, or even the tennis community in say Morgantown. Um, for me, it's always like, you know, your whole roster is mostly international. For us at Salem, it's all international currently. Um, right. and, and people don't understand why that is. And, you know, it's hard to explain sometimes that most Americans, you know, there's only a small pool of Americans who are talented enough to actually want to play D2. And then yeah. the, the sad uh, fact of the matter is that most won't choose D2 at all. Well, yeah, I guess if, if you want to talk about the craziest things I've, like, experienced, it, it, it does come with recruiting because, yeah. um, like, I, I went into it thinking, you know, um, you know, how – how how did these coaches find all these international players? I always thought that as a player. I'm like, how does Wesleyan have 20 guys that are all international? Like, because when I came to to Fairmont, we had no international players. So we were always just like in the van, like, where do these guys come from? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, that was definitely, it's definitely um, something that, uh, you know, you learn as you go too about how you, how you go about recruiting, you know, players and, and, you know, it's it, you you kind of have to recruit at internationals on this level if you want to be competitive because most most in uh, most American uh, players that are you know at the level of my men or women um, specifically my men uh, they uh, you know they're either going you know mid level D one um, or you know very high academic D three which I have no you know no problem with that right but, uh, uh, you know it's just hard for you know us to recruit you know players of that that level of ability right and I think you know for us it's difficult to really it's almost like a stigma of American high level Americans don't choose D2 you know um, I think in our case and and a lot of coaches that I've talked with uh, talked with is when you talk about you know the higher level Americans going mid-major a lot of them have D2 offers that are are better or even on teams that are better so you know how do coaches flip guys like that and whenever they really just don't even give you a look and maybe you're giving them a better budget and a better situation, maybe even better facilities? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like you said, it's a stigma of, you know, going D1 and um, it's, exactly. hard to, it's hard to uh, change, um, uh, you know, prospective student athletes uh, mindset on that. Um, you know, because when I was, when I was growing up, you know, one of my best friends, um, you know, he, he got a full ride to play uh, for Notre Dame football, um, you know. So, and now he's in the NFL now. But, like, we saw that and we were like, oh, he's going D1. You know, anybody that else, you know, you know that played a different sport or the same sport, you know, and that getting offers, you know, they, you know, they wanted the same feeling of, oh, I'm, you know, go, going to go play D, D1. Uh, but sometimes it's just not the right situation. Right. I mean, I, I know for me personally, I didn't have any D1 offers. So, you know, it wasn't a choice for me. But, you know, for kids that do have a choice, it's just like the D1 or bust mentality is so strong in America right now. Uh, it, it's really 
and I don't think the situation is going to get any different um, as far as American presence in D2 anytime soon unless things change. No, I don't think so either. But, um, you know, I'm still going to recruit American players. Um, Definitely. And, you know, it would be, it'd be amazing to, uh, you know, get some, some, some more players, you know, domestically. But, you know, time will tell. Um, another question uh, Kyle had uh, added into uh, my uh, presentation here. Uh, he, he asked me, is there any uh, countries that you've had more success recruiting in or countries that you haven't had much success recruiting from? And why do you think that is? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at my roster, uh, a lot of my, my players are from Brazil. Um, mm. But that's just – that's maybe not because – the reason why I'm probably more successful is just relationships with uh, certain agencies and all that kind of stuff. It's all about relationships. Um, you know, you don't want to burn any bridges. You don't want to, you know, get on anybody's bad side. And, you know, you want to be respectful. And even if, you know, things don't work out with one player, that shouldn't ruin things. Um, with uh with um you know future players in the you know in in the later years so yeah i mean i would say you know brazil is you know my my hot spot for for players but um i i recruit everywhere so it's not you know i i have players from taiwan i have players from you know all of europe so it's there's no spe really specific but uh if i if i had to choose one country that would probably be my most successful just from you know numbers would probably be brazil yeah and as you know from my team my days at fairmont obviously two of our probably most successful players ever were both from brazil lucas and and Guy. so i guess mm -hmm. kind of the same for us i know at salem you know same boat we had players from almost literally every continent this past uh this past year and from all over um, so for us, you know, I guess, like you said, you said relationships, you know, were the big thing. And it's more so honestly about getting a recruiter to trust you. And if you can get a kid from a recruiter and they have good things to say, then generally that kind of snowballs or almost compounds. Yeah, it's it's all about feedback with the players as yeah. well, because, you know, if you have a lot of players that are, you know, trying to go in the transfer portal and, you know, they don't want to be there. Uh, well, that that news goes back to the the, the agency. Um, and, you know, it's just not, not a good look. So, you know, hopefully none of that, you know, hope, hopefully that, not, that, that doesn't happen to anybody. But um, unfortunately it does. So you just got to, you know, try to represent your school as best as you can. Right. And in the same boat, as I said, you know, you get one player who comes back with good information and can, you know, compound. You get one player with bad information and bad feedback, then it almost kind of kills your ties with a certain recruiter. And sometimes, you know, it's not even your fault or it's just it's the yeah. player. So. It's kind yeah. of unfortunate and unfair to the coaches in that regard. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one, one part of the job that we, yeah. we have to do with. So, so um, kind of tying back to the, uh, the college recruiting board, um, you know, I've seen a lot of coaches in, in the comments talking about, you know, full rides aren't going to be available for women next year. You know, guys need to have higher budgets and things like that. How do you think that this whole situation is going to affect, uh, you know, the budgets of incoming players for not just next year, but for the foreseeable future? Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting question because, you know, right now I've never had to deal with full rides or anything like that. <laughs> so I, I'm not one of those schools that have, you know, a ton of money um, to be given out to, um, you know, certain players. Um, and if I did, I would, you know, basically, um, you know, that would, all my money would be going to one person or one player, and that just wouldn't be beneficial to me. So 
I really don't have to worry about that that kind of situation or that situation. But for other schools, um, you know, it, it very well could happen. I don't. I'm not entirely sure anybody's you know situation financially with with other schools. But um, just from what's going on and seeing programs being cut already, um, it's it's not a good look for for our for our sport at least on, on the financial. Um, side so hopefully things get better um, but uh, like I said again time will tell but um, I hope you know I hope I hope the best for our for our for our sport and all Olympic sports to be honest with you because it's not just tennis that is being cut I saw the University of Cincinnati's their men's soccer team got cut and you know that's that's disheartening because first off I love soccer I'm not just a, a tennis guy I, I love soccer I love golf those are my three favorite sports, actually. So, you know, it, it just hurts to, to see that happen because that's, you know, opportunities for, you know, young young adults um, that are being taken away. And it just, it's it's not good. Interesting that you talk about the recent cuts. Uh, it's actually something I had kind of, that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, you know, in the recent weeks, we've seen programs, not just tennis, but specifically tennis, um, cut at the Division One level, at the Division Two level, um, and, and others as well. Uh, I you know you got uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, a successful Division One program in their own right. I think they had won five out of the last ten conference titles. Um, you know, St. Edwards, a perennial top 25 D2 program. Um, I know Sonoma just got cut, Staten Island. Um, you know, do you look for this to kind of continue to be a trend over the summer, especially um, – if the COVID continues to keep us in quarantine and keep students from being on campus? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk for other universities, but um, you know, if I had an opinion, um, unfortunately it just looks like that might be the case. Um, I don't want it to be the case, but um, you know, it's, especially if there's, you know, there's no football season, that's going to affect a lot of, a lot of schools. Um, you know, because, you know, at least on the higher end division one schools, you know, if they don't have a football season, that affects that trickles down and affects all the, the smaller sports. Um, so it could it could definitely play an effect. And uh, we could we could continue to see throughout the summer, you know, programs getting cut. And uh, I hate to see it, but um, and like I said, it could not it, it might not just be tennis. It might be other sports as well. So. You know, like like you said, we were just talking. We were just talking um, off air about Simona State. Uh, their I believe their water women's water polo team got cut as well. So, uh, as as well as the men's and women's tennis teams. So it's not just it's not just tennis that's being cut. Which, you know, uh, like I said, it could be it could like we said it could be a trend. You know, in the summer. So hopefully not, but. It's, it's, it's just unfortunate for the coaches and players, I guess, to keep seeing this news as, you know, we're already in a time where most people aren't feeling the most positive about the situation. Um, you know, all of us had our season cut and taken away from us. So, you know, to keep seeing programs cut and, uh, you know, seeing these videos, I know a, a student athlete from St. Edwards posted a really good video, you know, to his university. And I thought that was really nice. And you, you could tell that, you know, he was hurting and that, you know, I'm sure the rest of the team felt the same way. So, it's definitely not the most encouraging thing to see in times like this, but um, I think it's definitely important for us as coaches to uh, keep each other positive and uh, keep our players positive too, you know, because at the end of the day, our players are feeling this a lot and they're already probably going through a lot of emotions anyways. So, you know, um, going into that, 
how have you been able to keep in touch with your players, uh, you know, over this little break? And, you know, how are they spending their time and how are they doing? So um, I have two different group chats. So obviously one with my women's and one with my men's team. And, um, you know, we talk almost every week um, via text or, you know, academic meetings. Uh, I haven't had any, um, you know, Zoom meetings with the whole team, but I've had individual meetings with, uh, with them. And, you know, it's mostly just seeing how they're doing. Um, not only just in school, but, you know, where, you know, where they're at, um, uh, you know, you know, with their, you know, not being here and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, try to stay in touch with them as best as I can and as, as much as I can and uh, try to stay positive with them. And, um, you know, I also do that with social media, too, with, you know, their Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Keep them, you know, positive, you know keep everything positive. That's, that's ma the main goal for, um, for now. How have you yourself been keeping busy? Um, okay. So obviously as a tennis coach, <laughs> you know, you live for competition, right? So, um, you know, it, not having anything, you know, to be competitive with it's, you know, it drives me crazy, but I actually have, uh, have, tried to stay a little bit competitive. I've been playing a little bit of video games. So okay, uh, what are you playing? So I'm playing uh, MLB The Show. Okay. Um, so baseball game, you know, play online, you know, a little bit here and there. You know, that, that keeps me a little bit uh, – keeps a little bit of fire going. I expected to hear FIFA from you. I have played FIFA, but uh, I just bought the MLB game. So now, you know, once you buy a game, you get addicted to it. So <laughs> I was playing FIFA before that, though. Are, uh, are golf courses in Pennsylvania open or no? No, they're not. Um, and for a golfer like me, that uh, that's that's the worst thing. That's the worst news to hear. Well, they're actually open in West Virginia. Uh, I think over over the last month and a half, I've actually probably golfed like six times, which is more than I've ever golfed in my entire life. Because, like you said, the competition, <laughs> the competitiveness—it's the only thing yeah. I really have to do. Yeah, yeah. I, so our um, in Pennsylvania, our uh, restrictions might get um, or well it's till May 8th, I believe, mm -hmm. um, is when, um, you know, the, the shutdown is till. So hopefully, you know, in a couple of weeks that they'll, they'll open up the golf courses. Um, that's my, uh, that's my hope anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully if this lasts any longer, I'll be able to shave a few strokes off uh, for when we come back. Cause <laughs> last couple hey. outings have been pretty rough. You saw that in Hilton head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't just you. Don't worry. <laughs> Dan. Wow, it was me. It was Kyle. It was everybody. So. Nothing, nothing like that Barry Bonds golf drive, though, <laughs> from the trainer. Hey, hey, his, his, his swing acceleration was uh, better than all of ours, that's for sure. Oh, for it sure. Only, it only went for five feet, but. <laughs> <laughs> one last question before I get you off here, Coach. Um, you know, what is this the one thing you're really looking forward to about getting back to college tennis? Oh man, it's, it's to see my players, you know, um, you know, I, as, as a coach, you, you see your, you, you see your team more than your family, you know, uh, you, because in tennis, you, you know, you coach in the fall and you coach in the spring. It's, it's a little bit different. We have two seasons. So I'm constant. I constantly see them and having them leave short, you know, in, in March, it, it, it was, you know, it, it was hard because, you know, I see them every single day. I see them Monday, Monday through Saturday, 
and you know even sometimes on Sunday even though if it's not practice so not having them um you know it, it's been hard so getting them all back um into the fall and getting the season going it's that's what I'm looking forward to seeing everybody um back on the court and, you know it's just I'm, I'm excited for that well hopefully this coming fall we'll, uh, we'll all be reunited with our teams and uh, we'll be back to the grind that we're used to uh until then, I guess we just got question marks. But uh, appreciate you coming on today, Cody. Uh, yeah, thanks had for really having fun. Me. Yep. Take care. Yep. See you, man. See you.